Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Father God, Lord of heaven and earth, we thank you, Lord, for your divine protection over your people. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to live in us, to lead and guide us into all truth. We thank you for your divine continued presence. You promised Jesus that you'd never leave us or forsake us. And in these critical, absolutely critical hours, when we are in danger every moment because of the devil's hatred for us and for you, Lord God, we thank you for your divine intervention and angelic protection and for your purposes to which you've called us at this time. And so I thank you for giving us each courage in our hearts, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation of your truth that we will no longer be distressed over things that don't matter and be perplexed over things that are not a problem and that we'll walk in the fullness of what you've actually called us to do as the bride of Christ, mighty warriors in these end days. So Father God, Thank you for truth. Thank you for the revelation of your truth. Thank you, Lord, for exposing the corrupt gospel, the counterfeit gospels that look like the gospel of Jesus Christ, but bring man not to rest in repentance and restoration, but to strife and fear and condemnation. So, Lord God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and heart to discern the difference. We ask these things now, Father, in your name. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? We're going to talk today. Uh, it doesn't seem like this is all going to come together, but I really believe that guilt, the sacred cow of the church and of religion, it's like the golden calf of Egypt. They were worshiping, idolizing, <clears throat> bowing down to, um, you know, making that their uh, source of deliverance, that we have done the reverse of that today. Guilt Satan uses guilt in the church to hold us, to bind us, to keep us from knowing the grace, the goodness, and the liberty that that truth comes to set us free, brings to set us free. Um, But let's go back to looking for a minute where we're at. You wouldn't think that guilt would be such a big, important spiritual topic these days, given given, uh, in light of the urgency of the hour, you know, this, just check your own emails. I'm sure you've got plenty of evidence there. The political voodoo, the witchcraft that's being practiced blatantly, openly against our country's leaders. Uh, the deliberate, purposeful censoring of truth and freedom of speech by anyone who leaks the truth. You know, that, that's going on. And in the overwhelming, blatant, insidious invasion of people's personal, private lives, even their bedrooms... I have emails often, regularly, about people, Christians, believers, who are absolutely tormented. I, we're talking being burned and poked and, and, and ripped and shredded and paralyzed in their nighttime, in their physical bodies, in their, and not, not to mention in their relations with others. These are believers who are being insidiously attacked by an invasion of demons that have become very bold and blatant in what they're doing to try to shut down crumple, crush, whosoever would fall or call upon the name of the Lord who would stand up for truth and righteousness. Um, you know, these things are happening now more than ever because the, the enemy has, has just stepped across every border. And because we, you know, we have not prayed and not sought the one true God, the, the protections have been um, gradually and continually being erased and removed from uh, even our private lives. So, the, the, these things that are happening to people, they go to the doctor. The doctor can't explain it. There's no medical diagnoses. There's no remedies. There's no, you know, the only drugs they have is drugs that will put you out. Um, this is, this is, you know, this is what we're talking about. And, and, yet, and then we have, if you look at outside, you've got the stars and the planets screaming at us. You've got Revelations 12 hanging in the horizon. Look it up, people, if you don't know Revelations 12. All manner of truly, truly fallen angel technology being eagerly sought after by others, 
agricultists, veiled scientific research projects, all focusing on the promise of the Nahesh, the fiery shimmering serpent and the garden. And his promise was that he would bring immortality. They'd live forever if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit. And see, that's exactly what's happening right now. This, the extending of human life and capabilities to all manner of scientific agreements um, to, to change your DNA, to um, update your DNA, to take the mark of the beast, to uh, agree with singularity. All of these things are on her horizon. So why would we think that guilt would be such a big deal? We've got every bad thing out there that's trying to hack into our DNA, um, you know, bringing uh, our generational uh, judgments upon us every day uh, to decode and destroy us. So Satan is trying to redefine us absolutely at the, at the core essential level of who we are. That includes DNA, Uh, but he cannot do any of that stuff. Really? He can't do any of that stuff unless he gets us to agree with him. That's the caveat. That's the hinge upon which all of this will go forward. And people who are believing the lies of, dev- of the devil, making them feel b- bad or responsible or guilty, um, you know, actually are coming into an agreement with the liar, the tempter at a level, giving him permission at a level of their DNA, the, struct- the internal structures of their very being to, to become uh, the destroyer because they're believing I'm bad. I'm bad. God said you're good. Guilt says you're bad. You're to blame. You sinned. It's your fault. And so today we want to look again. We did this last week, last couple of times. I'm really kind of hung up on this one because I'm so hung up on Romans chapter seven about even Paul was doing things he didn't want to do. And he didn't say, I'm guilty. He didn't say, I should have. I'm to blame. It's my fault. What are Peter and the rest of them going to say? I better get my act together. I better get control of myself i i need to you know repent he didn't say any of that stuff and he's talking directly about sin doing things he hated things he didn't want to do and he never used any of the typical you know i'm going to say religious jargon i won't name a denomination there although i was quite tempted to um to to that religious jargon is not gonna save us that rhetoric, that systematic theology, the denominational um, positions, the uh, dissertations and papers that we've written on this and that, that is not what's going to save us. What's going to save us is forgiveness and re- realizing that repentance is your friend. Changing your mind is your friend. Stop believing the lies that it's up to me. It's up to me is the main principal lie behind the spirit of witchcraft. You say, well, how do you know that? And by the way, everybody practices that piece of the witchcraft project. It's up to me. I got to do it myself. If I don't, it'll all fall apart and then I'll have to pick it up and then I'll be more stressed than I am now. So it's all about me and it's all up to me are the principal lies behind witchcraft. Witchcraft, which says the power, there are two power sources, one from God and one from the devil. And the devil says, well, I'll give you power, power to overcome. I'll give you power to be good. I'll give you power to be popular. I'll give you power, power, power to do whatever you want to do. But once you're taking the devil's power, you're going to pay your light bill to the devil, and he's not cheap. So the bride of Christ right now, basically, bottom line, who's supposed to be rising, strengthening, putting on the armor, standing strong, uh, going into the harvest field, being fearless, blah, 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 is like a half-dead body thrown in the ditch, half-naked, with knocked out, paralyzed, stunned, uh, surely not feeling qualified or ready or prepared to go to her wedding. Totally not. This is where the devil has the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the remnant, the elect. They're not ready yet. And yet the devil is totally ready to do what he's been doing and to keep, keep it up. So let's look at this for a minute. we got to go into, I'm taking the next couple of comments out of a book I wrote called Diagnosing Your Family Tree. You can go to my website, liferecovery.com, and pick it up. It's really good. This is Chapter 7, um, Recognizing the Judgments of the Gospels of Guilt and Be Good. You know, we have to go back to what Jesus said, and let's do that for a minute in Matthew 12. One of my favorite chapters in, of all the Gospels is Matthew 12. I just love it. 
because it's a total show and tell. The, the, it starts out with, you know, the disciples in the grain fields breaking the rules of working on the Sabbath by slipping their fingers through the grain, um, the, the standing grain, and, and stripping off those grains and chewing on them as they're walking to church. I mean, somebody, again, forgot to pack the lunch, and so they're on the run. This is their, you know, king of the grains and eating it. And the Pharisees saw it, and they made a big deal of it. And they looked, and they said to Jesus, look, ah, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. They're working. I mean, they were desperate, like some people out there today, desperate to find something wrong with somebody else. I could say, OMG. <laughs> Look at yourself, people. All right. Then he said, have you, then he turns around, he gives them this heavy-duty example in the Old Testament where David ran into the temple and was starving, and he grabbed the showbread off the hole. In the, it was placed in the, on the table of, of showbread in the inner sanctuary of the temple, not the holiest of holies, but in the medium court. He and his guys and grabbed the bread and ate it. They ate it. I mean, that was only for the priest. That was a total mortal sin. If you go to the, the sin, you know, uh, works, the, the works of um, what, the, what would be the worst and most serious of sins, they did it and they got no problems. And they didn't get judged. They didn't get dis- destroyed. God didn't come down and kill them with fire. And then he says, another example, you know, the priests, you yourselves work hard on the Sabbath, sacrificing all those animals, butchering those animals, cutting them in pieces, building the fire, throwing them on, keeping the, wa- the fire going, moving it, washing it off with water, blah, blah, blah. That's a lot of physical exercise. He says, but you're not guilty. Um, he says, I say to you, he says, but if you had known, this is the verse, what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So, you know, they're thinking it's all about sacrifice, it's all about the altar, it's all about the temple, it's all about the rituals, it's all about the laws, it's all about the rules. And he's saying, if you really knew what I, I'm not so much after the sacrifice as I want love and mercy, you would have not condemned the guiltless. So he's saying, you're condemning people, put, putting burdens on too grievous to be born, he says in Matthew 23. And you don't carry them yourself, but you're putting these rules and regs on people. And that's exactly what the devil is doing to us. He's putting in, and then he showed them how ridiculous their law was in pushing it to the point where it was even breaking the Sabbath, breaking the law to do good. So what is the point of the law then if it's not to do good? But you can actually be guilty. That's how ridiculous it is when you push legalism and ritual and religion and guilt to the point where it will take you, to the point where it's now illegal to do righteous things, to be good, because you're going to break the law of the Sabbath. And, and God says, this is so ridiculous. The law cannot save you. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All the laws fulfilled in this Galatians 5, 6, I think, that you love your neighbor as yourself. But, but Satan has got a whole different agenda going in the church. His agenda is to make you feel like and come to conclude and agree with him and believe that you are what you do. You are what you do. And you need to take responsibility for what you're doing. You are not a doing, you're a being. And we've been thrown into a snake pit that was not of our choosing. Come down a chaotic generational bloodline that's been hacked and, and, and broken into. And patterns of demonic judgments and curses have been put upon us without our knowing, without our participation, without our agreement. Way, way, way before we were even born. And now we have to deal with this stuff. And Jesus knows about that. So what, what Satan tries to do with this snake problem which he created, is to get us ultimately in the middle of the pit to, to hate what we're doing. Paul says, I hate what I'm doing. Why did he hate it? Well, because in, innately, he recognized he'd been made by God in the image of God to love what God loves. And God loves truth and justice and mercy. And, and Paul didn't see that wasn't what was going on and manifesting in his physical body, in his choices. He was not seeing that manifest. He was seeing um, things going on, a war going on, actually, that was causing him to do the things he did not want to do. And so Satan uses a very simple <clears throat> argument to get us to believe that we are um, guilty and responsible because he just says, well, you did it. It's your fault. You, and, and so if we're doing what we don't want to do, we have actually, and we, we don't resist that, 
he, Paul was resisting. He says, you know what? I see myself doing it. He says, but I don't want to do it. Romans 7.20 says, if I am doing what I do not want to do, it is not me doing it. And that is not what the preachers are preaching to you, those religious uh, hell, fire, and brimstone legalists. They're not getting the point. They, they can preach the letter of the law really good. But the letter of the law kills, Jesus said. The Spirit gives life. Now, are we looking for a way to make excuses and to get by with sin and promote denial and, you know, just let, you know, there be a spiritual free-for-all and the abuse of grace, you know, misusing the grace of God? Absolutely not. That's what Paul said, too. You know, you know he says, you know, it shall, if I, it shall sin abound. He says, absolutely not. He says, no. He says, grace is given, really, God gave us grace. He's the one who came up with the idea <clears throat> because he knew what a hellhole this was and he knew how treachery, how much, how, how treacherous the devil was and how he was going to use all of this to uh, convince us to agree with him that we're bad and guilty. So what the devil does is he sets up this debate. He was setting up this debate in Paul's life between his, his flesh and his spirit now the flesh is really you can really define that as the flesh is really including the body with the soul body and the soul together equal flesh being soul we're, we're talking flesh we're talking mind will and emotions the soul mind will and emotions is a navigating software that we use to figure out what to do make choices make agreements um, and give our consent and so when people are preaching against sin 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 which they often do they have made sin the, the problem. They've made the end result, the behavior or the failure to do something, the doing of something, the sin, the focal point, getting rid of the sin. But Jesus did not say that. He said, get rid of the lie. He said, basically, the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth will set you free. He said, repent, which means to change your mind. You have to change your mind about the sin before you can quit sinning. And if you're all tangled up in this debate, between your soul and your spirit, your spirit longing for God, knowing the goodness of God, knowing um, your desire for God, and yet seeing yourself acting out, doing things you don't want to do. Whatever happens, then we see that this is a, uh, a, a war. Paul said it. He says, there's a war going on inside of me, the one who wills to do good. I don't know why we just jump over chapter 7 of, of Romans. It's just not... People can't, they don't preach it because it does not fit into their religious paradigm of guilt and responsibility, and it's your fault. You know, in Romans 7, Paul is saying, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not, my, it's not me doing it. So therefore, it's not my fault, he's basically saying. Uh, and yet the church would say, and the society says, you need to take responsibility. Well, are we advocating irresponsibility? Did Jesus advocate irresponsibility just because he never told them that they needed to take responsibility? No, he says, if you follow me, I will perfect that which concerns you and be totally responsible. You'll walk in the spirit. You'll be obedient to doing what I'm telling you to do. And you won't be guided by the spirit of guilt or condemnation or the pious religious deceivers of hell, which when you follow them, that is the golden calf. That is the, the sacred cow. Guilt is the sacred cow in the devil's gospel. Don't touch it. The, the, the gospel of guilt makes the world, makes religion, makes those who are taking care of people who are, you know, suffering from guilt, it makes them a lot of money. Just like sickness makes the medical community a lot of money. Guilt and the law, Satan needs those two things. Those two, it's like a scissors. He uses those two things to cut you, to cut you off from God, make you feel bad and unworthy. So ultimately, you're feeling unworthy. You're thinking, you can't resist his argument. He's making an argument against you. Satan is using whatever he can to get us to prove to ourselves that we're guilty so that he can present his case um, before the high court and he can petition for the uh, just, just uh, rendering of his demonic judgments against us. And, and so you get beat up by those demonic judgments that you already agreed with, that you had it coming because you're to blame and you're guilty and you're bad. And so then we attribute those, those judgments to God, thinking God is one mad at you. Now, Jesus didn't sound real mad at the disciples. Jesus says, I don't, I'm not condemning the guiltless. That's what you're doing. 
Jesus then went on to, in chapter 12 of Matthew, he went on to, um, you know, ask them, is it it lawful to, don't you guys, don't you guys pull your donkey or your sheep out of the pit or lead it to watering on the Sabbath? Don't you take care of it? Don't you lift it out? He says, how much more value then is a man than a sheep? And so there was this guy with this withered hand sitting up in the front row, and they were all peering and, and, and staring at him to see what he would do. Well, most of them, most of today's preachers, would just leave him sit there. Sit there. Be quiet. Or I'll have the ushers come take you out. Don't cause a scene. You've got a withered hand. Live with it. What did Jesus do? He took it right there as an opportunity to heal this poor little broken sheep of his withered hand. By He was so simple. He just said to him, Stretch out your hand. How hard is that? Does that work? One, two, three, four. Four words in my version here in New King James. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees came unglued. And they went, they, they took counsel against him, how they might destroy him. Now, seriously here, nobody, none of the Pharisees are rejoicing. Yay. Wow. Awesome. How cool is that? This man, whoa, he's, he's, he can move his hand. Look, his hand grew up. Yay. Plotting how they can get rid of Jesus. Obviously, very, very obvious. And then he goes on in verse 18. My, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. He will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. If you've got that much desire, you're bruised, you're broken, you're trampled. He's not going to step on you and squash you and crush you and put you out. A smoldering flax he will not quench. You've got just a little bit of life left in you. God is not going to walk past you and say, you know what, forget it. They're not even important. I don't even care about them. They had it coming. That's not how God talks to us. That's not how he talks. So the enemy wants us to get, he's got to get us to condemn ourselves. God doesn't condemn you. So when you're, you know, yes, we sin. Well, what about the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Well, what about it? it when the Holy Spirit convicts you, what are you going to do about that? You're built by God to humble yourself, surrender, admit you're wrong, and repent. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is not the condemnation of the evil one. They're not the same. The conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't, isn't there to shame you. He's there to lead you into all truth. And yes, fear may put up a big stink about it. Oh, God, I can't admit that. What will they say? Shame says, oh, no, 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 no. Your reputation will be ruined. Don't admit to that, blah, blah, blah. Don't come clean. Just keep it to yourself, blah, blah, blah. Conviction says, trust me, follow me. The conviction of the Holy Spirit says, I've got it. I'll wash you clean. It's okay. So the thing is, yes, there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but isn't that interesting that when we sin, we already know it. The Holy Spirit's right there, but we're built by God to know the truth already. So in your spirit, you already know. And so if you follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repent, then God says what you do is you confess it. Confess I have faithful and just to forgive. He says, don't tell me you're not going to sin in First John chapter 1, verse 8. 1 through 8 through 9 and 10. <clears throat> Don't tell me you're not going to sin. You're going to sin. So people, after you're saved, you sin. Okay? You're not going to be sinless and perfect. You do not get into heaven by being sinless and perfect. You won't because you're, like the, you're going to be like the Pharisees, trying to keep every letter of the law. You keep it so strictly that you come to the point of being uh, of, of, where you can't heal, you can't do a good deed, uh, you can't do anything on the Sabbath that isn't breaking the law. The law will not save you. The law was simply given by God as a temporary measure to identify his people and protect them. Jesus came to fulfill the law. The law could never save you. If the law could save you, then we could get to heaven by being good. But it can't do that. It wasn't set up to do that. Jesus was the only one who could save us, and God intended that from the very beginning. So, <clears throat> so when Satan sets up this debate in our souls, he reinforces it he, through the, the pulpits, through the churches. Through, his, through, through the clever filters that he puts up in your own head, in your own heart. You read the word of God. I can't read the word of God. Every time I read the word of God, I feel condemned. I feel uh, judged. I feel God's mad at me. Blah, blah, blah. I can't read the can't. Yeah. Well, check that out. That is not the Holy Spirit. If that's going on in your head, in your heart, if that debate is going on in you while you're trying to read the word of God and you're not reading, there's not peace and there's not, there's not uh, life coming through it then you need to rebuke that thing. 
it's not you. You think that every thought you think are your thoughts, and they're not. That's the clever, subtle, wily ways the devil tempts us, thinking that my thoughts are my thoughts. Yeah. So Satan uses these, oh, just forgive me, people. Forgive me, Jesus, for I just pastors who, who do not rightly divide the Holy Word of God and leave God's people feeling confused and condemned and battered and, 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 and questioning their own, what they might, are they saved? Are you sure they're saved? Are you sure that, you know what? I have people who email me. I have people I've worked with. I have people who've been tormented with demons, and they're saved. They're very saved. They're altogether saved. What, what makes you saved? Being perfect, having a perfectly quiet, lovely, wonderful, prosperous life? No. Being saved means you've accepted Jesus Christ as your way to salvation. You can't save yourself. Being good can't save you. You surrender. You quit. You give up. And you know at the moment you surrendered, that's where you found the peace, isn't it? That's where you found Jesus, at the bottom on, their, on your knees, on your face, before God, that's who you find. So stay down there. Stay humble before God. Stay in, in need of him, carrying you, keeping you. Stop trying to do everything yourself. Don't do anything yourself. Follow him. Do what he says. So anyway, so these preachers, they come up with all these ways to clobber you. The devil's got filters when you read the word. That clobbers you, makes you feel bad. Feel bad. So people equate feeling bad with being bad and that's the devil's he's got two objectives in this war one is to make you feel bad uh, believe the lie that you're not good and he does that by making you feel bad other one is by making us feel that god is bad and he does that wonderfully well the devil does that wonderfully well by attributing to god all the bad things that happen to us and make us think that god's mad at us because we broke the law jesus himself in matthew 12 broke the law guys he broke the letter of the law to establish grace to establish mercy and truth and salvation and deliverance. He saw what the devil had done with the law. He had twisted it around in the minds of the people. So they were feeling bad and unworthy. And that's where they're sitting there with all their paralysis and problems because they were feeling they had it coming. And Jesus came to set that. See, Satan will use everything. He's got nothing of his own. He uses everything. God has counterfeits to twist it. And then the fruit of it. Now, if you don't think I'm believing and telling the truth, just test the fruit. Tell, test the fruit. If the fruit of what you're doing and believing and how you're walking in your life is bringing forth rest and peace and joy and confidence and authority in God to do what he's called you to do, stand and having done all the stand, take authority of the enemy, then you're good. If you're doubtful, double-minded, confused, stressed out, feeling con- convicted, con- I'm not convicted, condemned, uh, overwhelmed, that God's mad at you. You're not believing the right gospel. You got to go back to square one and say, Jesus, just start reading the gospels, please. And don't add anything. Just read what Jesus did. Read what Jesus said. Yeah, he got mad, but who'd you get mad at? Those who are twisting the gospel, making it a false gospel, making guilt a sacred cow, a sacred cow. Don't touch my sacred cow. Don't touch, you know, in India, they have those sacred cows and those sacred cows over there. They can go wherever they want to go. They can eat the people's food. They can pee on their whatever. They can do whatever they want. As a matter of fact, they're so blank sacred that the people catch their urine and drink it. Gross. Gross. And that's what we're kind of doing. This, this guilt and false piety and, and, and false humility and all this twisted, perverted, all about me and look at me and I'm not judging you, but you're judging me and I'm going to judge you for judging me. All this garbage. I don't know if you're getting this, but. You can see I'm getting a little upset about all this or excited about all this. But anyway, so, all right. So we're falling for the devil's lies. We're coming into an agreement. See, God doesn't agree with the devil. God does not agree with the devil that we are bad. God does not. But the devil has convinced us to create doctrines of evolution and depravity of man that we eat, that we absorb, that we believe, that we then attribute to God. We attribute God we're making judgments against God and judgments against ourselves, judgments against one another based on assumptions, based on what you, based on what you assume to be true. And when you make a judgment like that, you know it's not going to be the right conclusion. But it'll serve the devil's purposes very well. So, you know, God, you know, when you say, well, God makes me feel bad for sinning to get our attention, to get us to repent, but the devil, yes, just like 
when you break your leg, God uses the pain to get your attention to stop walking on that leg and go get a cast put on it. Okay. But that pain, God, God doesn't say, well, now that you broke your leg, you're going to have to be in pain for the rest of your life because you shouldn't have broke your leg. That was your fault. You were clumsy. You used your leg to, to, to do, kick the dog. And now you're going to pay for it. You know, this is not how God thinks. This is not how God works. We're so far away from what's really going on when we get all tangled up with this. But Satan uses our feeling bad because he made he makes feeling good about the goal. Oh, if I feel good, I feel this, I feel the peace, I feel I feel feel feel. It's nothing about feelings, people. They just don't live by their feelings. You may feel good, you may feel joy, you may feel peace, you may feel reconciled, you may feel all that stuff. But it's not about feeling it, it's about knowing it. Knowing then it doesn't matter how I feel. Do you think I feel like doing everything I do every day? Do you, like, do you feel like doing everything you do every day? Someday, do you feel like doing the dishes? No, you just do them. Why? Well, because somebody's got to do them. They need to get done. Okay, so you did it. You didn't feel like it. You didn't feel good about it. Okay, so the thing is, it's not, see, Satan wants you to think it's all about feeling. So guilt goes into the category of feeling bad, feeling not good, feeling guilty. So this motivates us because we don't like that feeling to go ahead and take the devil's solution to the problem of feeling guilty. And that solution is be good. Try harder. Okay, here's your religious list of things to do for the day. Check it off. You know, you've got the rituals, you've got the religions, you've got the church commandments, you've got genuflecting, you've got holy water, you've got whatever you got. You know, but, 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 you know, and on some of them religions, they don't give you, like the Catholics, at least they give you a nice, clear, defined list. This is what you do, 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 do. And you're going to have to do it again tomorrow. So do it, do it, do it. But in, in the more ecumenical, uh, evangelical, Lutheran types denominations, the list is not that clear. So the preacher preaches and you feel condemned and you go home and you still don't know what to do to feel better. Well, you, you sinned. Okay, stop sinning. But, but their offering of what to do is so off the, off the mark that it never produces any peace. The only way you're going to find peace it's back to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you for believing the lies. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth is the truth, for believing the lies. And the li- part of the lies I'm believing is that I am bad. I am no good. God is mad at me. Who said that? Who told you that? The devil. So you're listening to the liar now to get your, your, your quote of truth to figure out what's really going to, you're going to listen to the liar. He says, you know, you've got to fix yourself. You've got to try harder. You've got to get it right. Do it over. Measure up. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm the vine, you're the branch. We're hooked right in. So his nourishment, his sustenance, his life is flowing through us to bring us to the place of, of receiving revelation, instruction, strength, and energy. So the thing is, the gospel of Jesus Christ is totally different from the gospel of the, uh, of the enemy. So we have... The command, you know, for example, um, <clears throat> let's just go for a second to this. Well, people say, well, what about stop sinning? Stop sinning. Uh, what about that woman in John? What was it in John, that adulterous woman? Oh, yes, let's go there for a second. We'll look at that lovely. That's a lovely little. Holy, well, that, if, if they don't like how it turns out, you say about, oh, that's really not in the Bible. That was added. Well, I like the edition. It's good. It's a nice story. It's a true, wonderful story of how God deals with people who are guilty. Guilty people. Okay, let's listen up here. If you're guilty, John 8, 1 is for you. Okay, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And, of course, you know, I know Jesus, God the Father, well, Jesus, you need an object lesson today, so I'm going to send somebody. I'll set this up. We'll do a little power and demonstration here. So I think Jesus is kind of expecting these things. He was always ready for whatever the father wanted to sit there. So it was kind of like a, a, a show and tell thing. And then the Pharisees and the scribes brought to him a woman caught, caught in adultery. And when they had set her in, his, in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in, in adultery in the very act. Now, according to the Old Testament, and now Moses in the, in the law commanded that we should, that she should be stoned, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Okay, this is cut and dried here. This woman taking adultery. Don't know about the man. Oh, well. But we're going to stone her. Kill her. Mm-hmm. 
right now. Jesus, okay, here's what the law says. Here's what Moses said. Let's see what you do with this. Because if you don't obey this, then what? we've got a lot of evidence that you're breaking the law yourself. This they said to, of course, test him. Isn't that amazing how the devil sets us up always in these crazy, twisted, complicated situations where we're being tested? that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stopped. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Jesus stood down, stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Whoa. He's not going to let them push his panic button. He's going to take this thing in his stride as he sees it. So he stoops down and starts writing on the dirt. Now, there's an interesting scripture in Jeremiah seventeen thirteen. I just want to go back to that. For a second, you know, because I know Jesus knew all the scriptures. They had, you know, he had access to all of them through eternity. <clears throat> and in, in uh, Jeremiah, there's an interesting ver- chapter 17, verse 13. He says, um, hold on, I got to find 17. Here we go. <clears throat> um, we'll start with 13. And we'll read to uh, 12. Um, a glory, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. So he's saying all those who, who forsake the Lord, the fountain of living waters, their names shall be written in the earth. All who forsake you shall be ashamed. So they had, the the Pharisees had forsaken him, and he could have been actually writing their names in the earth to remind them of this verse back there in Jeremiah. So this was like him talking to them in a, you know, inside, inside understanding, inside joke, inside um, pointing out to them, guys, you're, you're walking a fine line here. So then, And when they continued asking him, so they didn't get it, they kept pushing, he raised himself up and said to them, so they're still hounding him, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when those who heard, now this is a very clever way to handle this problem, because they also knew about the stoning part, and that those who were without sin, He said it that way. I mean, before, I don't think they ever checked who was without sin. They just started throwing the stones. But Jesus says, okay, let's do it this way this time. He who was without sin, you can can cast the first stone. Go ahead. You innocent ones. Never been in adultery. Never sinned. You go ahead right now. Feel comfortable. Just pick up that stone and throw it right at her head. Okay? Well, guess what? Nobody did that. Then those who heard what he said... Pick up the stone, who have no sin, go, for, go first, without sin. Innocent, totally pure, never sinned. Okay, you go first. And those who heard it being convicted by their consciences that went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Okay, so they're all saying, oh, I'm not going to start this. I'm not going to be responsible for this. I'm not going to put my innocence on the line here, my right to throw the first stone. I'm just leaving. I'm out of here. And so they got back to, the, to the, the oldest, even to the youngest, and nobody was left. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing with him in the midst. Now, this is where it's going to reduce down to all of your accusers, all of those who you know, want to vote for you, against you, believe you, you, you're good, you're innocent, or you're bad. They're all gone. There's nobody's judgment that's going to set you free except the word of the Lord. And so now the, lady, the, the, the Lord is talking to the lady. And Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. I'm supposed she's still laying on the ground. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? See, if no one is going to condemn her, basically they aren't going to stone her. And if they aren't going to stone her for adultery, if there's nobody to stone her, then she's not going to die. And so she said, no one, Lord. So Jesus, in his very powerful one-liner, got rid of all of her accusers. Whoa. And this is what he says, too. It, you know, if you, you, can't, you can't take the speck out of somebody else's eye. you got a plank in your own. He's saying, judge not, lest you be judged. He's saying, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. This is the new commandment. This is the, 
the way the kingdom of God operates. It's not the religious garbage that we have that's been hoisted and foisted on us that we believe is the will of God or the legalistic rending and 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 just how many people do you suppose have been so discouraged over the way the gospel has been presented to them that they've actually died and maybe lost out completely on their salvation. And the only hope I have in that thought is that Jesus Christ knows the truth about who they are and what happened. And he has the last say on what happened to them because no thanks to the religious preachers and their, you know, uh, straight jackets of religion please people that is not what jesus looks like acts like or is interested in as a matter of fact he's here in the gospels refuting all that religious pious deception all the time so he says to the woman nobody here to accuse you nobody has no one condemned you she said no one lord and jesus said to her well good neither do i then go sin no more now what is he saying go sin no more ccc see don't sin. Stop sinning. Be good. Do it right. You know, um, there is a, but, but, but we're making an assumption here. He said, go and sin no more. What is sin? Sin is the fruit that comes out of believing lies. Sin separates us from one another, from God, from ourselves. Sin is a separator. Sin is the fruit of believing Whatever lie it is, I'm bad, I'm no good, I'm a sinner, I'm guilty. So when Jesus said to her, go and sin no more, he was basically saying to her, stop believing the lies. He did not tell her to be good. He could have. I mean, that would have worked right there too. Neither do I condemn you. Go and be good. But he didn't say that because being good and sinning no more are not actually the same thing, even though we might think they are. To, to be good implies, for if God would have said that, told her to be good, if Jesus would have said that, he would have had to spo- speak in contradiction to himself. Because he's, he says, and he said it there, he says, not right there, but in the context of being here, that there is none good but one, and that is God. So if he's going to tell her to be good, based on impl- implication that she was bad, that, of course, would be contrary to his truth, too. He knows she's not bad. She's done some bad things, been caught in some bad things. And for what reason? Probably because bad things were done to her in the first place. Okay. So <clears throat> based on her recent behavior, um, you know, we often make these judgments about people, children, our own children, ourselves, based on behavior and not based on being. And the fact that Satan is coming to set up this agreement, wants to set up an agreement with us between us and the, the behavior and render it as I'm bad and I'm guilty. So Satan wanted her, you know, Jesus didn't say be good. He wanted her to know who she was. He, he, tell, he told her, he says, go and sin no more. The fruit of sin is the fruit of believing the lie. Lie about who you are. Repentance and confession are coming back into agreement with God about who you are and what happened. Repentance means to change our mind. Confession of sin means we go back into an agreement with God the lies we've been acting upon, the lies we believed actually under the counsel of the evil, pious deceivers who parade around in your life like holy. They're not holy. They're liars. Because they you have to render the fruit. Where you, what's, what's this reducing down to? If it's bringing you to guilt, shame, and condemnation, weakness, confusion, inferiority, and not feeling at all qualified or worthy to do what God called his church to do, to stand up, to go into the harvest field, to stand in having done all the stand, to resist the enemy. We're not just here tiptoeing through the tulips, people. This is a, the habitation of demons on this earth. This is a habitation of the fallen angels, fallen angel technology, their, uh, their, their creations, their cloning, their inbreeding, their hybridization, their... Um, their transhuman cyborg inventions of entities, fit habitations for themselves, even, even things that look like people that are not, that do not have souls. That's what we're up against. We're, this is not just, okay, I'm going to go to church and be good and get to heaven. That's not even what it's about. You know, the, the disciples weren't all that good all the time. Kind of, if you look carefully and don't, you know, just look at it, they were fighting. They were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Peter and Paul couldn't quite figure out who's, 
whose gospel is quite right here? Is it to the Jews? Is it the Gentiles? Can the Gentiles really get in? Is it as simple as grace? Blah, blah, blah. You know, there was a lot of issues that Satan was trying to create in the beginning of this thing. The, the con- confrontations and the collisions between Jesus himself and the Pharisees only continued to get worse as we go into the early days of the church and the discussions and the debates. And, um, and, and then you see how they followed Paul around to try to kill him. The Jews did. The, 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 uh, they, they, they left Jerusalem and the areas of Judea to follow him even to the, into the Greek world to find ways to set up, incite riots against this one man for crying out loud. There must have been something that man was saying that Satan did not want to be said. That's all I can figure out. What's one man? Well, Satan figured he was a very dangerous man and he needed to be silenced. But what was Paul saying? He was telling us Romans 7. Um, you know, Jesus, going back to Jesus again about being good. You know, he says there's none good but one, and that is God. So if Jesus would tell us we have to be good to get to heaven, you know, he would be, like I said, he would be unjust, insane, contradicting himself, telling us to do something he's already declared to be impossible. And then he, then he tells us over and over in the Bible through Paul and various others, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, or by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. That's Galatians 2.16. The other one was Romans 3.23. So, come on, people. Do you want to hear the gospel the way Jesus preached it, or do you want your own version? Seriously, this is kind of what it comes down to. What, whose report are you going to believe? The devil's or God's? And Satan comes as an angel of light. And the fruit that he brings is guilt. I'm guilty. I'm bad. If I'm bad... I'm not good enough to go to heaven. Uh, I don't deserve, I'm confused about who I am. How does that equip me to stand against him? And if, if, if God has already voted for you and through the, the death of his own son did what needed to be done for you to be bought, brought, paid for, brought back into the kingdom of God, and then you and I have the audacity to base our decision on our feelings of being feeling bad, and we're in the court of heaven and God is ready to vindicate us. We're the plaintiff. The judge, God, is ready to, to, val- to vindicate us, to acquit us. And then the devil says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a minute, Your Honor. Objection, Your Honor. Uh, 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 wait, wait, wait. Here's the list of their sins. Here's the evidence that they were listening to me. Sin, 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 sin. See, evidence exhibit one, two, three, four, five. Oh, yeah, all that's a- Look at, look at, look at God. They're guilty, guilty, guilty. And you hear <clears throat> the devil presenting his argument to God. And you are persuaded to go with the prosecutor, the prosecution against you. Now, we'd say, well, that's ridiculous. Why would I ever do that? Well, guess what? You do that every day. You do that every single time you agree with, I'm bad, I'm no good, I'm guilty, I'm unworthy, I'm ashamed, it's my fault, I needed to take responsibility, I could have, I should have, I, I, I didn't, you know, whatever. I didn't do it right. Every time you listen to the self-talk that's coming from your head, your mind, heart, your heart, your will, your soul, you, you vote for that garbage instead of what the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says you're forgiven. You cannot get, if you hold on to guilt, and, and then, then the next requirement is if I'm guilty, you're also agreeing that I need to be punished. And then it's all about you. It's all about your sin. That's exactly what the devil wants to make the gospel about, all about sin, not the son. Then you are agreeing with the liar. I'm a sinner. I have a sinful human nature. I need to, perf- you know, I need to perfect that which concerns me. Which, of course, is a futile, wasted effort. So it's really, you know, the preachers want to make sin the problem. The devil wants to make sin the, the problem. Sin is not the problem, and it hurts a lot of people, and that's why we hate it. But sin is a problem. The problem is believing the lie. Do you get this? Why don't you just stop for a second and say, okay, God, what is the lie that I am believing right now that is causing me to, okay, now fill in the blank. Let's think of some things we could fill in. What is the lie I'm believing right now that causes me to 
be so hard on myself? What is the lie I'm believing right now that's causing me to uh, think evil of my sister, my brother? What is the lie that I'm believing right now that's causing me to feel embarrassed or ashamed or, 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 or keeping me quiet when I know I need to speak up or, or stand for the truth? What is the lie fear is telling me? What is the lie? Because all those things were, were sins, are sins. Not standing up for the truth, not telling the truth, not believing the truth, not walking in the truth, you know, making yourself your own worst enemy. That is not you doing that. That is a, a strongman impersonator, a first-person impersonator getting you to believe lies that I can't say anything. If I say something, you know, um, it's my fault. It's all so twisted, whether he's getting you to judge yourself or to judge God or to judge others. Also, why don't we judge the devil? Oh, you make it all about the devil. You're always talking about the devil. <clears throat> the devil can't make me do anything. Oh, you'd be surprised. You would be totally surprised at what the devil can make you do. Because you don't have control over everything you think you do. You can't manage your frequencies, your vibrations, your brain chemistry, your equilibrium in your body. Because if you could, you would. And you wouldn't be sick. So the devil has a lot of You've give, we've already given him a lot of permission when I'm bad and I I'm, I'm, did something bad. I feel bad. I'm, I've sinned. And yet we take the devil's remedy, which is I've got to fix it or, you know, use religion to get good, get better, do it over the, um, you know, perfected through religion, which can't happen a lot, blah, blah, blah. Good works doesn't work. <clears throat> so then we've actually agreed with guilt that I deserve to be punished, punished, punished. Okay. Think about that word for a second. I'm punished, penalty, punishment, pain, all the same basic word in the dictionary. So I'm agreeing that I need to be punished, and I agree with pain. A lot of us are in pain. That is not a, a, a situation that God is using to sanctify us. God is just, people say, oh, it's my cross to bear. They're, they're, they're confusing suffering with pain. I believe Jesus was in great, great pain on the cross. Don't get me wrong. I believe there is pain. The body goes through excruciating pain. And Satan uses the vulnerabilities of the body to exacerbate or increase pain. But <clears throat> if we believe I'm guilty, we've already agreed with pain and punishment that they could come in and do something to inflict upon us a judgment. And then <clears throat> we assume that that judgment is from God because we believe the lie that God is mad at me. You know, God is not disappointed in you or mad at you because obviously from the foundation of the world, he already knew everything, including the fact that today or tomorrow or yesterday, we will sin, we'll believe a lie, we'll fall down, we'll, we'll, we'll mess up. And he's not disappointed because he already knew about it. Get it? He already knew about it. So he already has made a provision for that. And so he wants to set us free. God wants to set us free, you know, where it's not about our works. It's not about being perfect. It's about abiding. It's about being. And it's about uh, being, walking in the truth, walking in the truth and walking in the spirit, not <clears throat> walking in the flesh. Paul said it himself. He says, all this stuff going on in me, I hate it. He says, oh, wretched, miserable man that I am. Then he says, who will deliver me? And so we're saying, Paul, Saint Paul. The guy that we all look up to as an example of what we want to be someday <clears throat> is actually saying, I need deliverance. Who will deliver me? Who? Now, he's not, he's totally st being straight. He's not saying, well, guys, I'm an apostle. I'm this, I'm that. He's saying, who will deliver me from this body of death, from this, this download, this, this spirit? The enemy has downloaded this body of death operating software into our souls and reinforced it. Built it and reinforced it through the experiences of the pit. And this is the truth. This is the truth. You experience things and you believe, you know, I'm bad because bad things happen to me. I'm bad because I did bad things. I'm bad because I sinned. I'm a sinner because I sinned. I, 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 I'm bad because people spoke, spoke curses over me. I'm bad, bad, bad. I'm unworthy, unworthy. And that is totally, absolutely, totally contrary to how Jesus sees you. He sees you as lost, not depraved. He sees you as precious worth going after. He sees you worthy of him giving his life for you, even though, you know, we say, well, we're not worthy. <clears throat> the devil says we're not worthy. Well, you know, Jesus says we're worthy. worthy. So who are you going to believe? We're worthy 
of Jesus laying down his life. We're, and and we're going to stumble. He knows we're sheep. We're not giving excuse here to make bad decisions or to deliberately sin. I don't believe anybody, once they understand or taste the goodness of God, really wants to sin. I mean, yes, we will sin. We will get tricked into sinning because the deceiver deceives and he's not going to stop deceiving until he is thrown into the fiery lake of fire. Seriously, people, this, these last days we're heading into is nothing but deception, nothing but you, you're going to have to get over your sin. You're, that's going to be, it's either that or it's going to, it's going to take you out. You have got to lay it down and say, God have mercy on me. God show me the lies because I need to walk in the truth because in these last days, God is not calling us. The sin problem has been taken care of. Now we're supposed to be giving the message of salvation, good news, hope, deliverance, the love of God, the peace of God, eternal life, the soon coming of Jesus Christ. We're, that's what we're supposed to be giving to the people. You know, Rosh Hashanah is the end of this week. Um, <clears throat> what is it? 20, 20th maybe or something like that? Oh, it's the 19th. Okay, so tomorrow's the 20th. So starting the 21st of the 23rd, are the days of the in-gathering, the days of Rosh Hashanah, the, the Feast of the Trumpets. And we've talked a little bit about that. Now, that is the day. That is the, 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 the three or four days. You know, nobody even knows the day that that feast begins on because the name of the feast day is the day or the hour because they don't know when it starts because it doesn't start until they see the full, I mean, the new moon, the crest of the full moon coming up over the horizon and two witnesses have to blow the trumpet and then the, the feast begins. So if it's a cloudy night, they don't know it. Uh, or a cloudy day or whatever, until they actually see it, it doesn't begin. So, so that's why they call that feast. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Isn't that interesting that we all say, well, you can't know the day or the hour. Well, the day or the hour is probably the period of time in which we most need to be aware of the return of the Lord, because he said that is what's going to happen on that day. Now, I don't personally believe, I'll be shocked, if the, if the rapture happens, the rapture snatching away. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We'll look at that radio show if you want to. I'd be really uh, shocked, pleasantly, if it doesn't happen. If it happens, if it happens between now and Sunday, I will be shocked. Okay, now that's no big deal. I mean, I'm not going to die if I'm shocked. I'll be raptured. But the thing is, the thing is, I, I don't believe it's going to happen yet because we are not ready. The bride is not ready to be uh, for the groom to come and get her. She's a mess. But I'm going to promise you something. You need to get over this, this self-examination, this feeling guilty. It is not about you. It is not about your sin. It's not about your guilt. That was taken care of on the cross. If you don't believe that, you need to go back to square one and repent of that. Thinking somehow, yeah, I'm going to add salvation to my, my little briefcase, my portfolio of good works. Repent. Get over it. It's finished. God's happy. He's done. Jesus fulfilled the law. Please, guys, or it is going to take you under the blades of destruction. Now, let's get over that, and let's get about busy about what we're supposed to stand against these fallen angels that are returning. The, the Nephilim, the giants, as it was in the days of Noah, there's a lot of evidence to prove that you, while you were sitting there in your living room, eating popcorn and watching the latest sci-fi movie, that it's actually happening all around you, and that it is purposely, deliberately being driven by the forces of hell that the, the, the fallen angel Lucifer who said, I will be as God. I will make this world my kingdom. I will be as God. I will ascend to the sides of the north. I will be. And you know what? <clears throat> Wake up. Wake up. Read your Bibles. Get involved. Start listening, paying attention. Don't just hear what you want to hear or don't just avoid what you don't want to hear. Listen. Ask God to show you what's going to open your eyes open our eyes lord god open our ears and let us forgive ourselves lord god for not allowing your forgiveness to penetrate into our lives and for and free us and release us from all this condemnation lord that's all vanity forgive us for the vanity forgive us for believing believing pious deceivers and religious deceivers and angels of light god we pray now in the name of jesus christ that they would be exposed that the light of your truth would make manifest like it did to the woman who finally realized her true identity was in forgiveness, that she was an adulterer, she was an adult, and she was a daughter, a woman of God, who had believed many, many lies that had been told to her, that had been forced upon her, and that she could be free. And so, Father God, 
for this new identity, the true identity, made in the image of God, made in his likeness, made to love what he loves and hate what he hates, made to resonate with the truth and to recognize the truth and to embrace the truth. There is going to be no middle line, Lord God. They're going to be in or out, hot or cold. So, Father God, get your people on the right side of that line before the earth swallows them up. And, Lord, I pray for divine revelation this week. And if we, see, if we have a radio show next week, people, we'll have one. And if we don't have one, we'll probably be in heaven. So blessings to you all. And may the Lord God be real in your life. May his word be a fire burning in your bones. May it set you free. In Jesus' name, amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? 